With the revolution of digital photography, old-style photo albums are becoming a thing of the past, aren't they? Um, fewer and fewer people actually have their snapshots printed at walgreens.com or York Photo. Uh, instead, we simply make online photo albums at Picasso or maybe Facebook. Uh, or you have custom books now made at Shutterfly or other sites like that. Now, today we're, we're continuing our, our new sermon series called Snapshots of the Kingdom, and we discover that Matthew's gospel actually does contain a photo album. In the 13th chapter of his gospel, it's a collection of snapshots uh, about the kingdom that are given by Jesus in a very busy day of ministry. And Jesus uses these nine parables Memorable stories that employ everyday, ordinary, workaday things, both to reveal, that is to help those who are spiritually hungry, uh, more fully grasp the nature of God's kingdom, and conceal, to shield the truth from those whose hearts have already grown calloused and hard. Jesus uses these parables to reveal and conceal the nature of the kingdom. Now, our purposes in these weeks together are to enlarge an understanding of what he calls the mysteries of the kingdom, hopefully to change how we live as a result, that we might uh, more fully experience the real life that Jesus said he came to give, and then lastly, to experience signs and wonders and miracles. Because every time Jesus or the apostles proclaimed the kingdom, signs and wonders followed. So let's pray together. Lord, it's with grateful hearts that we are here today. We thank you for health and soundness of mind and body that enable us to gather together to set everything else aside that competes for our time and energy and attention during the week. And at the start of this all to say, Lord, you matter. You matter the most. And we want our lives to count for you so much that we we, we are here to attend to your word, to worship, to give, to minister, to grow, uh, and and... Lord, we welcome you in the person of the Holy Spirit. We know you said that where we are, there you are, but we, we want like your, your, your presence manifest powerfully in our lives and put power on your word to us here in this room and next door and Vineyard Kids as well. In your name, amen. Well, if you would, you could open your Bible or your Bible app to Matthew's Gospel. That's the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read today the parable of the sower, as it's subtitled in many of your Bibles. The farmer scattering seed is the title of this parable in the New Living Translation, which we will be reading. Um, and if you uh, have a Bible, you can follow along. The text will be on the screen as well. It's perhaps the most memorable of the 52 parables that Jesus gave. If you've heard this story one time, you likely remember it. Matthew 13, beginning verse 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. And then he sat there. He taught the people as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his fields, some seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. 
Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now in verse 18, Jesus explains. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruits produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even a 100 times as much as has been planted. So Jesus begins uh, his explanation by calling us to attention. He says, listen or behold. And then he concludes the story with these words, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Well, now, most of the audience would have had ears to hear, right? (laughs) Almost everybody has ears. And so what's the point? Well, I think his point, it's as if he's telling us to really listen. I think the true sense is conveyed in Eugene Peterson's translation called the message of this particular verse. Are you listening to this? Are you really listening? is what Jesus was saying. And that's because in Mark's record of this uh, parable, Jesus stated at the conclusion these words, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? So there's something about the nature of the kingdom revealed in this parable that is fundamental to our knowledge and understanding of God's kingdom in general, and consequently, our ability to to fill up the real life that Jesus said was, was ours to have. If we miss this, we miss the kingdom, this parable. That's why it's preeminently important and why we start here. Now, what we see in the story is a farmer who sows seed into four kinds of soil and the respective result in each case. Mark's account tells us that The farmer is the son of man, a term that Jesus frequently used for himself, who takes the seed of God's word to people. Now, the first case, we see that some seed fell on the footpath. Hardened like concrete because of repetitive traffic, nothing grows on the path. The seed was unable to penetrate at all, and consequently the birds came and ate their fill. It represents those who hear God's word, but don't understand. Verse 19 in Matthew's text, the evil one comes and snatches away the word that was sown in people's hearts. And so right out of the chute, Jesus is framing life in the kingdom as a battle between two kingdoms. He always framed life this way, two kingdoms in conflict. We have a real enemy, the personal devil, he said, who wants to steal the seed of God's word that's been planted in your heart. And you you just think back to all of your collective experiences and how the devil fought you coming to Christ and staying vitally connected to Christ. And for some of you, not even yet been able to cross that transition, to make that decision. 
Yeah, he, he will steal the word of God through discouragement or confusion or, or guilt, uh, um, through hard heartedness. The path is hard. Secondly, some seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. Hey, it looks good on the top, but underneath the surface, there's this impenetrable layer. And so what happened, seeds sprout quickly, but soon they will because they don't have sufficient root. The roots are too shallow. And Jesus said this represents people who receive God's word with joy, but then when trouble or persecution arise, uh, it causes them to fall away. Following Jesus is just not worth the trouble or the grief. Then the third category, some seed fell on thorny soil. In these cases, the seed germinated, it began to grow, but the tender plants were soon choked out by the weeds around them. And its soil, Jesus said, represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the worries or cares of this life or the lure or deceitfulness, lust of wealth, crowd out the things of God's kingdom. And then Jesus said, there's a fourth category. Some seed fell on good soil. You see, given the right conditions of uh, fertile soil and sun and temperature and moisture, these seeds are going to actually germinate. They'll begin to grow. And ultimately, they'll bear fruit of differing amounts, but they'll be fruitful at the harvest. And Jesus said, these people are those that hear and understand and respond in obedience to the Lord's a word, and they produce a Christ-like life in their words and works, in their character and conduct, their influence and impact all around them. So here we have this simple, memorable parable, story. That's the foundation for our understanding everything else about life in the kingdom. Let's work our way now through just three tips on how this snapshot of the kingdom as really, ultimately, a call to the church for action. First of all, a call to sow lots of seed. Now, it may come as a surprise to many of us Western readers, far removed from the culture and the geography and the life in the ancient uh, Near East, that the farmer throws seed on all kinds of ground. I, I mean, it, it seems lavish at best and imprudent at, at worst, Right. We think, what a waste. He's wasting a lot of good seed on, on soil, the footpath, the thorny soil, the, the, the stony soil. You know, as Midwesterners, all of us who live right here in the breadbasket of the world, we see this annual rhythm that's very pronounced and very clear. And it's no, we're no stranger to it, right? Uh, the farmers begin to work the soil very early in the year, or sometimes even in the late fall. They tile their fields, they, they plow, they cultivate, they harrow, they, they fertilize, they spray, all preparing that good, rich, Midwestern black topsoil to receive the corn and soybean seed so that it can produce the optimum amount of crop. Best conditions possible for germination. But not so with the farmers uh, in Galilee. Rather than prepare the soil first, it was their custom to simply scatter the seed everywhere and then work the seed into the soil later. 
And so the local color of the farming practices right around them set the stage for the audience to really hear the story. You know, we've said that Jesus uses everyday ordinary imagery in the parables. And it was probably within eyeshot of a farmer casting seed in the field next to him that Jesus was now telling the story. So they would have really got it in a way that is somewhat removed from us. The seed falls everywhere. Some of it lands on the path, on the rocky places, some among thorns, but some does fall on good soil and produces an amazing crop. And so Jesus is wanting us to know that life in the kingdom means scattering seed. I think one of the things that Jesus wants the Peoria Vineyard to understand is that we need to sow lots of seed everywhere. That's what life in the kingdom is about. The kingdom grows by sowing seed. And like the farmer in the story, we need to be extravagant in scattering it. We need to throw it on all kinds of soil, scattering it everywhere. And in this sense, our sharing of God's love and mercy and truth and power, that is the kingdom, it, 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 it just needs to, to go everywhere. When we share God's love with no strings attached, we should never become too calculated. Now, hear me out. Certainly, there is a place for a rational, clear-headed thinking and planning as we invest our time, energy, and resources. You know, I'm frugal. Some might call me cheap. Uh, (laughs) And so I'm always doing the cost-benefit analysis of where we invest our time, energy, and resources. We do need to hear God's specific instructions by the Holy Spirit on the ways that allow who we are and the uniquenesses that we bring to the party as a, as a church family. Where do those things uh, best be maximized? But once we move past that, that being said, I don't ever want to become a captive to market analysis and strategic target audiences and cost effectiveness. Let's scatter seed because that's the way it works in the kingdom. Scatter the seed. That's what Jesus is saying. This is the fundamental thing you have to understand about the kingdom. Scatter seed. Now, you've heard me say this times before, if you've been here at all, that there are three spheres uh, in which God has placed you uniquely. Where you live, where you work, and the people with whom you do life. No person is uniquely qualified to minister in those three spheres, your three spheres, as you are. Where you work, where you live, and the people with whom you do life. Scatter seed there. That's his point to us today. Kind deeds with no strings attached. Offering to pray for someone with a need that, that, that is willing to trust you with it. Being a listening ear. Investing and including and inviting those people in your three worlds, especially to join you on a Sunday morning. These times are important together. I, I know that in, in some ways we, we think, well, it never hurts if I miss a Sunday or two. And, and that's true in the, in the eternal scheme of things. But they're important because these times together at the start of every week serve to inspire and equip and train and remind and encourage us. They give us an opportunity to invest in the lives of others and to use our gifts to bless the church family. When you invest in people and include them in your lives and you invite them, That sincere invitation communicates that you care about their life and their eternal value. And so scatter that seed everywhere you go. We've got printed little invitation cards, by the way, at Guest Central. And so they're, they're real subtle. They're, they're attractive and they're powerful. And you can just distribute those everywhere you go. That you just, I scatter that seed everywhere. Those little invite cards. Now, what gives us confidence 
in scattering all kinds of seed everywhere is that the life is in the seed. You see, everything in nature, uh, in, in nature, everything that's needed for a plant to grow is already right there in that seed. Think about it. Seeds can lay dormant for years, waiting for just the right amount of the mixture of sun and warmth and moisture and, and the right soil, when it then begins to germinate and starts to grow. But as you know, seeds are very unimpressive, aren't they? I mean, let's be honest. They're small. They're inconspicuous. Many of them look dead. Seeds are unimpressive, but they're also mysterious because they can produce an incredibly beautiful and complex and colorful reproducing living thing. They are, they are unimpressive and yet mysterious. The seed has within itself the power to come to life when the conditions are right. That's the beauty about the kingdom. No one knows how a seed really works. No scientist, no botanist, uh, no physicist. They don't, they don't fully understand how the seed actually grows. It's a mystery that God holds closely. Now, early this spring, my wife, Tina, and I cultivated the flower bed around our light pole in the front yard there on uh, Anchor Drive. We turned the soil over. I turned the soil over, <laughs> raked in the fertilizer, prepared the seed bed, and then we planted several packages of $1.39 zinnia seeds. And they're small, they're dry, they're insignificant. They're dead-looking seeds about a quarter of an inch long, like the like dust you sweep up from your garage floor. And uh, I mixed them with a little sand. That's a that's a, a trick for you know like extending the, the the ease of planting. You mix them with sand, and then you then you can plant them real easy in in nice little rows in the seed bed. There, we I sowed them in, covered them with soil, watered, and then waited a day, nothing. Two days, nothing. Three days, nothing. A week, nothing. A week and a half, nothing. What is the deal? Well, it took two weeks, then a few sprouts. Just like that, just a few. Two and a half weeks, three weeks, and then a month, all kinds of sprouts. And then a month later, the full flower. Beautiful, colorful, attractive. Everybody that walks by our house stops to talk about the zinnias. They're beautiful. They're attractive and they'll bloom till frost. And it's just like magic. It is amazing. The life of the zinnia was in that inconspicuous, small, dry, insignificant, dead looking seed. Beautiful, isn't it? One of God's beautiful gifts. That's how the kingdom works. Those dead, dry, insignificant, almost dead looking Seeds that you scatter everywhere on all kinds of soil have the capacity to do that. That's why Jesus said, scatter seed. Now, it's interesting. In Mark's gospel, chapter four, Jesus tells a companion parable that Mark, that Matthew does not record called the parable of the growing seed. It's interesting. In this stretch of nine parables, they actually work in twos. Uh, we'll discover that in the next three weeks ahead of us. The parable of the farmer scattering seed works with the parable of the growing seed in Mark chapter 4. I'll read it to you. Jesus also said 
The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, a farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Jesus is saying in this parable, the farmer doesn't know how the seed grows. It just does. Jesus uh, 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 was saying that that's one of the mysteries of the kingdom. The power of, of life is in the seed. The farmer doesn't get it. We don't get it. That's just one of the beautiful, mysterious, powerful truths of God's kingdom. The apostle Paul reflected on this truth in his letter to the Corinthian church in the third chapter, when he said, I planted seed into your heart, Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The kingdom principle is we plant, we water, God gives the increase. That's the beauty and the power of the seed. And I love the detail that Jesus added in Mark's parable, the parable of the seed growing by itself, when he said the kingdom doesn't like explode. Rather, growth is incremental. First, the leaf blade pushes through the soil, then the heads of wheat, and then the grain ripens. And so we can't make the seeds grow. All we do is plant and water and cultivate. God makes them grow. And then when he makes them grow, the growth is either delayed or incremental. It's not explosive. Growth in the kingdom is incremental. First the blade, then the plant, then the full corn in the ear. So these parables are a call to sow lots of seed, knowing that many will never grow. And when they do grow, their growth will be delayed. I just think we we got to be figuring out ways to sow all kinds of seed, where we work and live and play and go to school and eat and shop and do our laundry. We just figure out ways to scatter seed. Now, our church family will organize seed scattering events uh, to make it easier on your schedule. For instance, uh, last month, we we volunteered with Habitat for Humanity, a way of scattering God's seed, the seeds of God's love. Two months before that, our our, uh, children in the storm this summer scattered seed with uh, Southside Mission, as we'll be accustomed to do in the future. This coming Saturday, we're going to serve at the Sweet Tent at the Pumpkin Festival in Morton, just as a way of blessing that community and scattering more seed. And maybe next month or in early November, we're going to be distributing 9-volt batteries for people to put in their smoke alarms for when this time changes, just as a way of sharing God's love in dramatic and, and, and surprising ways, just as a way of just like sharing God's love, no strings attached. And we'll organize these events and invite you to participate all, all along. But then you just have to pray, God, you know, what, what, what should I do? Inviting a coworker, a, a friend, a neighbor, a relative, um, a classmate, to a worship service with compassion is a way that communicates care, as I've, as I've indicated. Maybe when you share God's love through an act of kindness in a small way, it's a, a way to scatter seed. Maybe when you ask somebody, when they share with you how bad their back hurts, and you say, well, can I pray for you right now? It's a way to scatter seed into their life. And I'm confident that the Holy Spirit will give all of you hundreds of ideas on ways to scatter seed. And when those things come in your mind, they're often like a butterfly. They land and then they go. And you're apt to think, oh, that was just me. No, that was the Holy Spirit. 
giving you an idea. How else can he work other than like using your rational reasoning thinking capacity? Now, occasionally he might like shout in the headlines or write something on the wall, but those things don't happen very often. He's going to use your faculties. So don't, don't yield to the temptation of like, oh, that was just me. No, that was the Lord nudging you, brushing you, landing a, 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 an idea on you on how to scatter seed. So lots of seed. It's how kingdom life works. The second tip I'd want to share with you is a call to the church to suffer rejection. The farmer gets mixed results as he sows the seed. And in the kingdom, Jesus gets mixed results too. Three out of four people don't produce lasting fruit. As the law of percentages go, that's not a great return. Jesus could have done it some other way, but he didn't. He said, this is the way it's going to be in the kingdom. So don't be surprised. In fact, a case could be made, a strong case could be made, that by the time Jesus had actually died, the big seed that died and was buried in the ground, his ministry looked largely like a failure, didn't it? I mean, he was hated by the religious community, shunned by his family. Even his own apostles denied knowing him and abandoned him in the garden. Until the seed sprouted on the day of Pentecost with 3,000 little sprouts. And after that, you know the rest of the story. Seeds are still sprouting around the world today at a rate of about 70,000 people per day being converted to Christianity. The seeds are still sprouting looked dead when Jesus died. Now, the point here to be prepared for rejection is to know that the ministry of the kingdom is clearly opposed. The devil will work feverishly to challenge the truth and power of God's word every step of the way. On the footpath, he will directly steal the word through temptation, through sin, inability to comprehend, any other number of issues. Maybe previous disappointment or pain or suffering. You know, you view hypocrisy in the church and conclude they're all that way. Maybe the lies that he has about God to you. God's not good. God's not here. God's not dependable. And so he'll he'll steal the word with those. Uh, those on the rocky soil. He says, trouble and persecution. Trouble, the devil and his demons will deal, will stir up trouble in your life, circumstances or your relationships. Sickness and disease and mar- stuff in your, in your marriage or, or in your singleness or your relatives or classmates or co- co-workers. Trouble your circumstances, your, your relationships, or you're persecuted for your faith. Getting ostracized at work, in the neighborhood. Maybe losing your job or being hated in your family, or maybe losing your life in another culture. On the thorny soil, worries and cares of this life. I mean, after all, there's a lot to worry about, right? I mean, after all, we got the election coming up and the economy and the viability of Social Security and the price of gas and groceries and health insurance and kids and grandkids and, and you know, you need a new washing machine and got to pay the bills at the end of the month. You've got a hundred other things to worry about. There's a lot of cares in this life. And then he says, the lure of wealth. Money and what it can buy are are just so seductive. I mean, we're all deceived, aren't we, in a way, thinking that we'll be happier if we make just a little more than we have now and have a few more things than we've got right now. That's almost universal to the human condition. We lost in a dream when we covet, and when we do, our eyes are drawn off of the Lord and his things of the kingdom and onto things and stuff. And... The truth is, Jesus is telling us, wealth is deceptive. It will never love you back. I mean, seriously, uh, you'll never be hugged or held close by a bank account, a fast or sexy car, or a first-class flight to Paris. 
they'll never love you back. Good things, but the real meaning of life is relationships. We're never going to be satisfied with stuff. Haven't you experienced this? You ever want something really bad? You saved for it, planned for it, went online, checked it out, found all the makes and models, and finally were able, you know, through hook or crook to get that thing and then discover how disappointed you were that you weren't happier afterwards? Yeah, we, in a way, we've all tasted this microcosm of the disappointment of stuff. And you know what? Here's the news. You're going to leave behind everything you collect. It's going to be passed on to somebody else. We only take with us people we've influenced for Jesus. But all this is to say, we feel the tug of wealth, don't we? The deceitfulness of riches. All these things war against the kingdom of God and his purposes in our lives and the lives of people that we're scattering seed to. And so the tip is to be prepared for rejection because of all these reasons. The rejection in, in, in others, as well as the temptation that arises in our own soul. Three of the four people are eventually not going to be interested in what we have to offer or what Jesus promises. Some are never going to understand it, you know, like the, the seeds that the birds are eating. Some have a short-lived enthusiasm, like the seeds that are growing in the rocky soil. Uh, some are sincere, but they're really distracted, like the seeds in the thorns. And that can be discouraging. That can be disappointing. Uh, that can be uh, really hurtful, especially when it involves people that we love and care about and long for them to be in the kingdom in the way we are. But know this, Jesus is warning us that the message of the gospel, the kingdom message, creates a great division. Those that are moving towards Jesus, no matter how far, but, but are drawing closer, or those that are far away and even moving farther. There's a great divide. Because you're either moving towards Christ or you're moving away. There's no middle ground in the kingdom. And so Jesus is warning us here, church, to be prepared to suffer rejection that comes against the gospel of the kingdom. This is the normal Christian life. Three out of the four people aren't going to eventually be interested in what we have to say. But wait! Don't lose heart because the harvest is coming. This leads me to the third tip. And that's a call to the church to anticipate the harvest. Some of the seeds fall in good soil. They germinate, they grow, we see life maturing, they produce a crop. That's what the farmer is looking for. That's the end, that's the goal. And the farmer is able to put up with resistance and opposition and loss. Why? Because he or she knows that the harvest is coming. The farmer's eyes are not on the opposition. The eyes are on the harvest. And that's where faith or trust comes in. Here's, here's the deal. Despite opposition and rejection and setback and disappointment and unanswered prayers and pain and loss and betrayal and what appears to be futile and fruitless, dead, dry laboring, the harvest is still coming. It's easy, isn't it, to be overwhelmed and discouraged, to be tempted just to quit and give up. Like, oh, there's just no use in this stuff. How many of us that have been Christ followers any length of time have been tempted to that? All of us, to be sure. But the very nature of growth in the kingdom, Jesus said, is it's not only to be resisted, but it's eventually when, when it does grow that the growth is delayed. 
And in that delay, you'll notice the birds gobbling up the seed. Yep, there's the sun scorching it out. Yep, there's the thorns choking it out. It doesn't look like there's anything uh, life-giving here. It's all barren. It's all fruitless. Jesus said, that's life in my kingdom. Nothing's wrong. That's the normal life in the kingdom. But we press on by faith because we know there's a harvest coming. Now, certainly... He was speaking of the great harvest at the end of the age when Jesus returns personally, literally, in glory to consummate or bring to completion the kingdom on the earth in the way that it will happen. Perhaps in our lifetime, maybe not. But the harvests of evangelism, outreach, and power, God's transforming work in the lives of men and women and children of every age, every culture, all around the globe, in our in our three worlds of work and live and play, uh, we continue to be fueled by scattering seed, knowing that, that there are glimpses of God's power in all of those areas. And we need to live in expectation of this harvest. People ask me today, so how's it going there in Peoria? And I never know quite what they're asking, but I'll usually fancy some answer. But now, lately, I found myself saying something like this. Well, you know, the Peoria Vineyard may be just gaining traction, but we're not going to remain a small, sequestered group of crazy people. We're going to see 30 and 60 and 100-fold increase because there's a harvest coming for us. We may be small and insignificant right now, and that's no condemnation of any of you who are here. That's just to say, you know, like, what are we? A dead, dry-looking little seed in a great city, but we've got potential. The harvest is coming, and it may take a few years. Uh, it may take a decade, but it's coming, and I'm here for the long haul. I'm in for the harvest, and so are you. I'm looking forward to today that the kingdom keeps growing, that the seeds that we've scattered take root and begin to grow. I don't know how. That's God's job. That's what the text is telling us. Give up control. Okay, Lord, as much as I'm a control freak and a perfectionist, I give it all up. The results are up to God. Our job is to scatter. We just don't know how it's going to grow. But we know the promise is it's going to grow. There's going to be 30 and 60 and 100-fold harvest, and I'm holding on for the harvest. The results are not up to us. They're up to God. But I know that every new birth in this church is a miracle. I know that every answered prayer is a miracle. I know that every time someone is encouraged or filled with the Holy Spirit, it is a miracle. I know that every time a marriage is strengthened or restored, it is a miracle. I know that that every time uh, we see God give us direction for our life, when we step more fully into his will for our purposes, that it's a miracle. I know that every time one of those kids comes home singing a, a song that's been planted in their heart, uh, turning their heart toward God and his kingdom, that's a miracle. I just... I just see all kinds of miracles here now and the ones that are going to happen because that's the way life in the kingdom works. That's what Jesus said. The harvest is coming. And so I want to invite you to pray for the harvest. Pray for workers in the harvest. That's what Jesus told us to pray. Pray for signs and wonders and miracles of the kingdom in the harvest. Pray for life change, for people who are outside coming in. We want to make a way possible for those who are outside the life of the kingdom to understand it and make it real and and work through their hard-heartedness and their shallow soil issues and their thorny soil issues so they become good soil. Uh, pray for forgiveness and restoration and healing and freedom from oppression and poverty and lack. All those things that Jesus said were his to give. Pray that the blessings of the future kingdom age come crashing into the lives where we work and live and play and go to school. 
Pray for those things. Pray, pray for our outreach. Pray for vision to, to build multi-site campuses all through uh, the, the, these five counties. I mean, I see churches in Chillicothe and in Pekin and Metamora and, and East Peoria and Washington and Galesburg and Los Al Peru. And, and I'm, I don't think I'm a dreamer. I, I, I mean, I, I am, but uh, uh, I think that's God's heart. Look for the harvest. We want to be a part of scattering seed and building uh, kingdom-centered, outward-focused, God-honoring church families in all of those areas. Join with me in praying for those things. Pray for church planting in cultures that we've not yet visited, whether that's Brazil or, or China or uh, uh, Latin America, where, where God's going to lead us to partner with other vineyards in planting churches around the world. Well, can we now begin to see how understanding this parable is absolutely essential if we're going to grasp the nature of life in the kingdom at all? As we remain encouraged in our work, our work of planting seed, in suffering and rejection and anticipating the harvest? I hope so. Lord, thank you that you invited us into this powerful, dynamic life, the life of your kingdom. And even though at times it doesn't seem very glorious, it seems full of opposition and rejection and disappointment and we're overwhelmed and we're discouraged. Lord, today we, we say plant the seed of hope for the harvest in our hearts today so that we can keep on pressing on by faith. No matter where everyone's at, Lord, in their journey today, may we be willing to take the next step forward by faith, trusting you. Even, Lord, now as we give to you our offering, for some of us it's a huge leap of faith to be able to trust you by giving away money that we've worked hard to earn and we need. But we do it because it's a sign that says we love you, we trust you, we're going to bless you. And now as we lift our hearts and hands in song, same deal, Lord. We offer them up to you. May they be gifts that bless your heart and that change us in your name. Amen.